Hey there, audio listener, Michael here. Before we get started with today's episode, Travis and I wanted to tell you about a really fun giveaway we're going to be doing over the next week or so to honor Ultra Day on July the 10th. Travis, do you want to tell the folks about it? Absolutely. We're going to be giving away a movie spree code to Ultraman Ace to one of our listeners. The only thing you have to do to enter this giveaway is go to our YouTube channel, Kaiju Weekly Podcast on YouTube, and we're going to have this promo as a separate video. All you have to do is uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and comment on that video. Any comment that you want to leave, just leave us a comment. And if you're not a YouTube user, what you can do is also go over to our Twitter account. We're going to have a post on Twitter about this giveaway. You can retweet that and make sure to follow us on there and you'll be entered that way too. And we will pick one person uh, from that combined pool of people to give away this code to. Awesome. All right, let's on to the next episode. Um, I have a new way of introducing the podcast this week. Instead of doing our normal intro, I want to try something different. Okay, let's go for it. Okay. Ooh, Kaiju Weekly, listen if you please. Ooh, Kaiju Weekly, we watch monster movies. What the <laughs> hell was that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh my goodness. Okay. That's All the right. intro. That's the intro. We're not doing the regular intro. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, whoever's listening. <laughs> oh man, if that doesn't get us in the mood for this this um recording then i don't know what will <laughs> oh that's fantastic i think i think we've both had uh, a pretty pretty interesting morning i know i have i, I thought i was gonna have to cut out well i thought i was gonna have to uh just use my my phone for this recording and uh because i was having some technical issues i've been having yeah. technical issues all morning yeah so uh, i won't go into the into the really uh bloody details of it but for anyone out there who's ever tried to uh, update their operating system and then run into a problem. You understand what I, you understand how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, that's uh, technology. Uh, I hate technology. <laughs> I was stupid enough to think that that it was a good idea to do it on a recording day too. So go figure. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But then you know, if you think, well, it's usually supposed to be you know something simple. You've done it before and it hasn't had any problems, and it's like, yeah. So I, I completely understand. It's like, well, I've done this a million times and it, it hasn't messed up. Now it decides to mess up on the day that I need to record. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And, I, and I, I was telling you on the, I was telling you just now that I like to do just sort of a clean install because I just think that I just like, it's just one of my little preferences uh, that I like to do when I install a new operating system. And uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't quite work out for me this time. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. but, luckily, but luckily, luckily I got back up and running. I had a, I had another copy of my old OS saved and ready to go uh, because I love redundancy 
and uh yeah so so we're here we're here we're a little bit we're a little bit late the the listener obviously you don't know that but we're a little bit late recording this morning but uh yeah we're fine now i think maybe <laughs> yeah hopefully well we'll find out as we go through the episode so yeah, hopefully <laughs> So let's uh, start with the news this week. So uh, giving everybody a heads up, um, I mentioned it in the last episode that I'm going to be moving house this month. So for the next couple of episodes, we're not going to have a new segment or at least not as an extensive of a new segment as we usually do um, because we're going to be recording ahead ahead so that I can have time to pack and everything and move my stuff. So uh, this week we've got a few news items, but uh, depending on how you feel about the news segment, you may be disappointed or happy for the next couple of episodes. (laughs) Yeah, it'll give us, it'll give you time to do what you got to do. And uh, it'll give me uh, just a little bit of a break. So yeah, let's, let's cue the beady beady. Yep. Cue the beady beady. All right, so our first bit of news is a simple piece of news. We have now seen all of the cover artwork for the uh, Arrow video channel's upcoming release of Gamera, the Complete Collection, Uh, all of it done by Matt Frank, of course, and it is just amazing. They are amazing. Um, And something else that's uh, really neat is that uh, all of these movies will be available for streaming on the Arrow video channel in both the U.S. and the U.K. starting on July 1st, um, which is the week of – oh, actually, that's today. That's today of the day that uh, this episode goes out. (laughs) Oh, nice. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, they'll be available on the Arrow video channel. So um, it's a streaming channel, much like, you know, Netflix or, you know, one of those or like the Criterion channel, things like that. Um, so, you, ha- you know, you have to pay to have a subscription to it. But, uh, but yeah, all of the Gamera things, are, uh, Gamera movies are going to be on there. And the cover uh, of each movie is going to be the artwork that Matt Frank has done that's going to be part of the Blu-ray collection as well. Yeah. Uh, so just really quickly, Travis, have you had a chance to look at all these and decide which is your favorite so far? Um, I have looked through them and I, I've got to, I got to go with Legion. I think Legion. Mm, oh yeah. no, but then I really like Gamera the brave too. Oh, that one's so good. It is. It is indeed. I think, uh, I think mm, it's a tie for me between, between legion i'm with you i think the coloring on legion is phenomenal i love those deep blues and purples and magentas and stuff like mm-hmm. that stuff uh but i also gotta go with um maybe gamera versus gauss from the showa era i really like that that little bit of artwork too oh yeah yeah gauss is gauss is really good um yeah Oh man, I'm looking at him right now, and now I, surprisingly, Super Monster looks really good. Um, well, let, let's we we won't go there. The, let's just say the artwork is better than the film itself. The artwork looks great. I mean, <laughs> look, uh, it just <laughs> uh, because Gamera's kind of got this like blue glow, like aura around him and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, they're all so good. But uh, but yeah, I still think Legion is probably my favorite. Um, but I do really like Gamera the Brave too. Um, yeah, it's it's really good artwork. I, I like it. I like um, 
I, I just I actually like all of them. I I I know that's sort of a that's sort of a huge cop out, but I really love all of them, honestly. But oh yeah, you know, but Gauss and the Legion, the Legion ones were those two were were probably my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so if anybody is interested in looking at these and seeing what we're talking about, you can check out uh, Kaiju News Outlet. They have um, all of them on there on Twitter and Instagram. You can check them out. They'll, they have all of them where you can see them. And if you're a YouTube subscriber, I when I upload, when I upload this episode to YouTube, I always try to um, put images up for points of reference so that folks that are watching slash listening can know what exactly what we're talking about. So I'll, I'll throw up an image of this on the YouTube channel. Awesome. Awesome. Another reason for everyone to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We, we didn't hit our goal of a hundred by the end of June, but we maybe a hundred by the end of July. So please, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you can, um, Okay, moving on to our next bit of news. Since there's no G-Fest uh, this summer, Kyle Yount and some other uh, people in the Kaiju community have decided to put on an event online, and they're calling it Kaiju Con Line. <laughs> uh, like Kaiju Con Online. Uh, and that is going to be July 11th through the 12th. Um, right now, plans are still being made, so I don't have any other information on here about it, but I do know that some of our friends and fellow podcasters are going to be involved in some of the stuff. So yep. uh, yeah. it's worth checking out if you are a Kaiju fan. Yeah, I think, um, let's see, I think it was me and a few others uh, maybe uh, in, the, in, a Twitter, in a Twitter thread chat, whatever. Um, we were going to maybe possibly try to put together a panel um, mm -hmm. uh, that included, you know, of course us and monsters versus men, Nathan and uh, Henry from it came from monster movie. Uh, unfortunately that kind of fell through. So we're not going to be able to do that, but right. I'm, I'm most definitely going to be tuning in for this because it was, an, I think it was first announced on their uh, collect all monsters show. Uh, where they talk about collecting and all that good stuff. But it was first announced there, I want to say, because Kyle is is one of the main hosts for that show. Um, so, yeah, I'm super interested. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know our friend Nathan from the Monster Island Film Vault. He's got a panel scheduled with, uh, I think, Daniel DeManna. Is it is it Daniel? Yeah, with yeah. Daniel DeManna. Uh, the uh, Godzilla Novelization Project? Yes, that one. Yeah. Uh, or that mm -hmm. him. Yes, uh, Danny DeManna. Um, he's got a panel, he's got a panel scheduled with him. I want to say it's probably the same panel that Nathan said he had scheduled if G Fest was actually going to physically happen. So I imagine the content is going to be exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish we could, um, organize a, a panel for Kaiju quarantine, but, um, it's kind of short notice and there's so many of us and with me moving, it just was like, I don't think we can try to organize that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm definitely going to try to tune in, uh, as much to as much of it as I can. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm glad that we're getting something since G Fest got canceled. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. It's it's a good way for us to stay in the loop as far as kai the kaiju community is concerned. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm definitely gonna be I'm definitely gonna be watching. I love I love what those guys do. Uh, I love what uh, I'm a I've been a big I've been a longtime listener of the kaiju cast. So I love what Kyle does. I'm sure he'll be super involved and he'll 
hopefully uh, have a lot of other interesting guests and panels and maybe a virtual dealer's room for those of us who like that kind of thing. Ooh, that sounds cool. Um, yeah, so that's, that is that. And as we get more information, um, if we get more information, I'll include it in the show notes. Um, or you can go and follow, uh, Kyle at the, uh, Kaiju cast, uh, Twitter. Um, you can also, uh, follow G fest because they are also doing, uh, our, our G fan, um, and follow them because they are doing stuff along with it since G Fest got canceled. Um, or you can follow, like we said, Nathan, a lot of us, uh, a lot of the fellow podcasters are going to be involved. So follow any of them for more information because, um, because of our recording schedule, if news comes out, we m- may have already recorded the episodes, uh, that, that will come out before it actually goes live. So, uh, so yeah, just, we want to make sure people have access to information though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We won't, uh, yeah, we won't just go dark on social media, even though we are recording a couple of episodes in advance. Um, we will still be active. And if there's anything of interest, uh, we'll make sure to let you guys know about it somehow. Yep. Yep. All right. And, uh, the last bit of news I wanted to cover was just an update on last week's, uh, um, news story about the birth of Ultraman Blu-ray set that we are getting from Subaraya or from Mill Creek. So the episodes that are included, because like we said last week, it's not all of the episodes. It's just a select um, kind of best of. So we've got episodes one and two, uh, Ultra Operation Number One and Shoot the Invader. Uh, episodes nineteen and uh, episode nineteen which is uh, features the red-skinned monster Banila mm-hmm. and his blue-skinned rival Aboras. Is that how you say it? I can't remember. Um, so that's what that one is. Uh, episodes 26 and 27, the monster Highness uh, features mm-hmm. the ancient monster Gomorrah. Which is two of my favorite episodes from the original series, so I'm happy those got included. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine them not including those in this set because like come on um episode 33 the forbidden worlds the uh alien mephilus tries to convince a boy to give him the earth even ultraman may not be able to stop him mm-hmm. uh that's also a good one and episode 37 little hero uh, which has the return of Pigmon. Yeah, uh, Pigmon, <laughs> Pigmon warns that the <laughs> evil creature Geronimon is reviving an army of monsters to destroy Ultraman in the science special search party. So uh, that's that's the episodes that we're going to be getting. That just gives you you know lets you know exactly which episodes uh, we are getting the subtitles and also the English dub for all of these. Yep. Um, also included. Uh, like we talked about last week, was the birth of Ultraman, Ultraman pre-premiere special. Uh, This aired in Japan on July 10th, 1966, one week before the original series premiered. Uh, This stage show was filmed before a live studio audience and introduced viewers to the story, cast, and characters of Ultraman. So that is also going to be included. Now, uh, a revision that I wanted to bring up, because last week we said that this was going to be costing 19.99 on the official 
page that I looked at, it says that the retail is going to be $25.99 US dollars. Hmm. Okay. Uh, now, they may, you we may very well get a slightly cheaper price on Amazon. Usually when companies like Mill Creek and, and well, they did it with the Criterion Collection and Arrow has done it with, with the Gamma right. Collection, uh, give you, give Amazon Prime subscribers a lower price mm-hmm. um so i'll i'll most likely be grabbing it from amazon and even at 25 dollars, eh, it's still not sort of a, a, a break your bank kind of thing because i am actually really excited that they included some actually really good episodes i see that they uh included uh episode two shoot the invader which is the debut of boltan uh, which mm. is also a very good episode. We covered that on the uh, podcast. I think it was you and me, or may have been you and Steven. I'm not sure, but I just remember um, whoever it was, uh, we really enjoyed that episode. Yeah, yeah. It's still still one of my favorites um, of the entire original series. Uh, I love that episode. Um, yeah, I still, I'm still on the fence about this set just because you're essentially paying for episodes that you already paid for if you bought the full series when it came out. So right. uh, to me, I, I, I'm still dubious on it, but I'm also more frugal. <laughs> and so I have to, I'm on a, I'm on a tight budget, so I have to limit uh, how much I spend. So maybe that's what's getting to me is the fact of like why am i paying for something twice when i already i already own it um but uh but at the same travis, time i also <laughs> travis you're trying to talk me out of it man uh, maybe maybe i okay okay listeners maybe i should have travis as my accountant because i because uh, i tend to spend <laughs> way too much money um yeah that's all i'll say and travis is extremely frugal so maybe i need to maybe i need to just hire travis as my accountant what do you say yeah um no you need somebody who's not on the verge of poverty uh, <laughs> to be your accountant <laughs> oh come on you're not on i would don't don't i wouldn't say that uh, but it's, no. it's good to be frugal it really is yeah well i i just i i don't know my that uh it's such a because i do i do see why this is appealing um of course we talked about last week how the the artwork on it is that um alex ross artwork that he did for the comic book that they're using as the as the blu-ray cover so that's amazing getting that pre you know premiere thing that's great and it's just but it's still just kind of like if this is all we're getting if it's nothing nothing else special in it does it justify buying it twice? Does it justify not having it, not having that pre-premiere in the original set, you know, that, that they put out? I don't, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm on the fence yeah. about it. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's up to, it's going to be ultimately up to the fans and people who want to invest, you know, a little bit of extra money in it. And like I said, the price is even at $25, if that's what we end up having to pay on from even on Amazon. Um, the price is still low enough to where you're not going to have buyer's remorse over it. I don't believe now this set, if this was a, a $50 Blu-ray, uh, even me at that, I couldn't, right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't justify it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think maybe my feelings come from the fact that I'm just not as big of an Ultraman fan as some people are. I'm, I'm a bigger common writer fan. 
than Ultraman fan. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's playing a part yeah. in this. So I've know. evolved into a into a uh, a big Ultraman fan, and we'll cover that probably in the next episode when we talk about our because you know when we talk about Ultraman and some and we will recap later on in a, in a future episode the uh episodes one and two of the recently released ultra z so yeah we'll we'll save that for later but yeah yeah I, I get what you're saying yeah um but that's it for the news um the only other bit of news that i saw which isn't really news was that they released another trailer for the uh transformers uh movies uh or tr- i think it's a trilogy of movies that's coming okay. to netflix uh the war for cybertron Oh yeah, yeah. Me and Steven uh, talked about this during. I want to say, I think it was our Son of Kong episode. It was just me and Steven doing that episode, and we talked about the Transformers uh, mm-hmm. uh, trilogy, and we both agreed that it looked interesting. That we would probably check it out. So yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. watch. Yeah, and it's coming out it uh, towards the end of July. I think July twenty first or July twenty second is when it's supposed to uh, hit Netflix. I don't have the details in front of me, but I, I, that sounds about right. Uh, I yeah. think I even saw an. Ad, I was uh, watching. Um, we, I was watching Netflix last night or the night before is when I, or maybe it was the night before when I saw it. Um, when I, I saw a little like Netflix will run like a little ad. If you let if you leave Netflix paused for long enough, it runs these mm-hmm. little ads to show you what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was one of them. I remember just kind of looking up, uh, looking up and just kind of seeing it for at least a split second and then thinking, Oh, that looks cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, transformers fan. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm looking I. forward to it. Yeah. I like classic, but I like classic transformers myself. I right. like, I like the Michael Bay movies. Um, I think they're fine. Uh, the, especially the first maybe two movies were good. Uh, and even, um, the last night was pretty good. I thought don't, please don't hurt me anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I actually, I, I will watch this. I definitely will. Cause I grew up with transformers, much like power Rangers, GI Joe and some others. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up with it. So yeah, I'm excited. Yep. Looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, so that's it for the news segment. So now we can get into our main topic for this week. All right, let's do it. So we asked the trivia question last week uh, to get us onto the main topic. What film is loosely based off the 1900 Japanese novel, The Undersea Warship, A Fantastic Tale of Island Adventure? And we had a bunch of responses. Um, so... Just uh, to start off with some of the funny ones, uh, Giant Monster BS, our friends over at that podcast, uh, sent in Aragon. <laughs> uh, which, I really like those guys. They they're always they're always super witty with their responses. I I do. They're, yeah, they're, they're good. They're good dudes. Yeah, they are. Uh, Nathan from Monster Island Film Vault, who also s- always sends us a funny uh, response, said the hunt for Blue September. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, that one. That I do like that good. one. That's a, that's a reference to a movie I actually really enjoy, The Hunt for Red October. Uh, Jimmy from NASA uh, sent us the classic film, The Ship Whose Captain is Too Scary for Jimmy to Ask to Have in His Garage. <laughs> I think we. I think that we're we're seeing some uh, some 
behind the scenes stuff about Jimmy and, and who he's willing to work with. <laughs> yeah, we are. I have spoken to uh, Nathan and Jimmy before and anytime, anytime, um, anytime I bring up a certain submarine slash spaceship or slash, I don't know. I don't even know what you would classify <laughs> the, uh, the, the go tango, but uh, yeah, he he's, he's trepidatious to talk about it for some strange reason. I, I don't know why it's like a, it's sort of like, I dare not speak its name situations. I don't know what's up there, Jimmy, but maybe you can tell us. In a yeah. Time. Yeah. Um, Alex Sperling sent us, uh, he, he started typing in go tank. Oh, I mean, uh, Atragon. <laughs> uh, and then Thorax, one of our Patreon supporters, uh, sent in one of my favorite films of all time, Atragon. It's up there with Godzilla 1954. All right. Good man. Good man. That's, yeah. That's high praise for this film. That is really high praise. Uh, and then, of course, we have Faye, the Aqua Slug, Michael Edwards, and La Vida Oscura, Oscura uh, who all said Atragon uh, and got it correct so thank you guys for sending in your answers to that trivia question our topic for this week is atragon from 1963 directed by ishiro honda uh starring jun tazaki tadeo takashima yoko fujiyama hideo amamoto uh tesuko kobayashi and special effects by eiji subaraya i'm getting better with the japanese names can you tell? You are. You are. Those <laughs> those lessons are really paying off for you, Travis. I'm proud of you. If we could if we could insert some kind of hand clap effect into this portion of the conversation, I think that would be appropriate. Just a, just a nice soft golf clap. Yeah, a nice soft golf clap. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the plot breakdown for this movie is when an ancient underground civilization and their snake-like guardian plots to reclaim the surface world, those living on the surface fight back. So, getting into our opening thoughts, what are your opening thoughts on this movie, Michael? I like it. I really, really like it. Now, we'll get into the details in just a little bit, but it's it's slow to get started the first 30 minutes or so uh it's it's crucial because it gives you background on our on our protagonists mm -hmm. and antagonists. but the first 30 minutes is a very slow burn. Uh, it really picks up about during, I think around the beginning of the second act is when it picks up. And so I, I actually really enjoyed it. I've watched Atragon. Uh, it, probably this for this podcast makes maybe my third or fourth time watching the movie. I really enjoy it. Um, and so before kind of we get into our likes or dislikes and some, and some thoughts, we need to probably, um, you know, get the elephant out of the room or at least, you know, shove him into the corner somewhat and talk about what everyone critiques this film for is it's uh, nationalism versus uh, patriotism argument. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as my opening thoughts though, uh, I, I'm with you. I really enjoyed this movie. This was my first time seeing it. I oh, had really? never, okay. yeah, I have never actually watched it. I, I've known about it. It's one of those movies that I just, you know, know because I'm in the, you know, kaiju realm, mm -hmm. but right. it's one that I've never actually sat down and watched until I did for this podcast. And yeah, I was very surprised. I, I, I find myself 
every time I watch a Showa era film that I've mm-hmm. never seen before, I find myself enjoying it more than I expect. Like really? I always, okay. I go in, I go in expecting to enjoy them, you know, to a certain extent. Cause I do enjoy Showa mm-hmm. era Kaiju films, but with uh Frankenstein conquers the world and with Atragon. And there's a few others that I've, I've watched for the first time since starting this podcast. Every time I go, I go into these Showa films, I go in expecting to like them to a certain degree and I end up liking them more than what I expected. Mm. Um, so I'm always surprised by how much I enjoy these Showa era films, but yeah, this was a, this is a great movie. Um, like you said, it does have its flaws and we will talk about some of the things that I ha- the problems I have with it, but overall it's, it's great. It has a lot of great themes, yeah. has a lot of great acting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's worth watching. It really is an ensemble cast. It really like your typical Toho. Like like your it it leaves out a few of our favorites like Takarada and and some right. others. Right. It but there's there's some solid Toho players in this movie. And um, the reason I think I really enjoy Showa era films more so than maybe Heisei or Millennium films is because they tend to be maybe a little bit more thoughtful um, in their themes, especially with Atragon, you know, Atragon. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into it more detail in just a little bit, but uh, yeah. Atragon's, Atragon's main running theme of, you know, nationalism versus patriotism is a very thought is very thoughtfully, is very thoughtful and well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, I think that's, that's a testament to sort of Honda's directing style and, and everything that, that all that work, the, his crew and some others put into films like this. I just feel like, er, especially earlier Showa films tend to be a little bit more thoughtful in their, their, now there are a lot of them, a lot of them are blunt in their themes. I'm not saying that they're subtle because you know, right. films like this and some others are not subtle about their themes, but they're at least uh, for the most part, thoughtful in how they portray and you know sort of execute those ideas throughout a film yeah yeah that's one thing uh at least as far as his kaiju films go because i haven't really explored Mm -hmm. a lot of his non-kaiju films but as far as kaiju films uh honda is not necessarily known for his subtlety in themes absolutely the the themes are right there in front of you but in a good way, not, right. they're not like hammering you over the head, but there's such a, and, and a big part of it. And we'll talk about that in, uh, in our mailbag segment, but a big part of that is also Sekizawa and his writing mm-hmm. style, uh, mm-hmm. for when he was, you know, the screenwriter, uh, right. the, the themes are so interwoven into the movie that you, that every aspect of the movie has that theme upfront and present. And I like that. I like that in these old Showa movies. Um, Mm -hmm. You talked about how this has a lot of the, the uh, classic Toho actors and stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, One that I didn't even mention because he played such a small, uh, not a super small role, but he played a a minor role in the movie. um, But is uh, Akihiko Hirata. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Serizawa from Gojira. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was is... one of the. Uh, he was Agent Twenty Three. Mm-hmm. He was Agent yep. Twenty Three from the Mu Empire. Yep. 
yeah. So uh, having him in here was great. Uh, and in all the other ones that we mentioned uh, was great. So yeah, the, the acting in this movie is definitely a positive thing because uh, everybody is, is turning in great performances in this movie. Um, continuing in our likes, our positives for this movie, what are some other positive things that you have uh, for this movie? Oh man. See, as a, as a fan of Harry Housen films, and you'll understand where I'm going in just a second, okay. as a fan of, as a fan of Harry Housen films, I can appreciate that. I feel like this movie is loosely based. I'm not going to say it's direct. It's a, it's a direct inspiration. Uh, geez, getting tongue tied. There we go. Directly inspired by 20,000 leagues under the sea slash mysterious Island. And I, I just kind of, I really, really appreciated that. I did. Uh, some other likes that I have for this film are, you know, the set design. The set design is beautiful for this film. Um, specifically, when you get when we first get introduced to the Moo Empire, mm-hmm. uh, just some of that set design, the costume design, the 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 tapestry paintings that sort of give the illusion of a much larger throne room than what it actually than just than what the set would allow they it it really is beautiful beautiful stuff yeah yeah it really is i i love the set designs that they have in this um and i will go ahead and get one of the fun facts out of the way right off the bat this movie was made in four months they had four months to make this movie because they were pushing to try to get it out um, by December. Mm -hmm. And so they had to split up and, and film, you know, have two teams that were filming simultaneously because that's the only way they were able to get it done. But the fact that they put this movie together in four months and it looks as good as it does. Let's talk about the special effects. Um, you know, of course it's Subaraya. We already know Subaraya is great with, course, when it comes yeah. to monster effects and, and special effects, but some of the special effects in this are really, really outstanding. Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed was there's a scene where an American submarine is chasing after w- one of the Moo submarines and it dives too deep and they end up getting crushed by the pressure from being so deep. Mm. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, it's model work. You know, of course, that's how they did it. But seeing the physical uh, submarine, the American submarine, slowly be crushed and then just boom explode mm-hmm. was uh, was fantastic like i mean we just watched underwater just a couple of weeks ago and and seeing this here uh in the in the 60s how they did it it was just uh, so fantastic yeah some of the especially the effects work from that scene i'm interested i was kind of curious i was watching it and i'm like how did they do that did they stop motion did they uh, maybe put some 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 kind of vacuum in the back of that model that that sucked sort of like just basically treated it like a tin can. You just suck the air out of it. Um, but it was super interesting. Yeah, you're you're right. The model work, especially in the miniature work mm-hmm. uh, for this for this film, is super intricate. And I really and I just really loved it. Uh, my favorite effect, my favorite prop slash effect, of course, is we got to talk about the Gotango. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, Captain uh, Jinjushi, Jin, uh, Jingushi's, I hope that, I hope I said that right. Um, um, 
uh, the captain's ship, the mm -hmm. the main ship that you see, the one with the giant drill on the front of it. The mm -hmm. it's just this epic sort of this Captain Nemo inspired Nautilus inspired machine that's just so powerful. Uh, and just the model, the model work on that thing is just great. And so is the, uh, some of the shots where it sort of forces perspective. It gives you mm -hmm. a good, it gives you a good sense of scale and size, especially, uh, in, in regards to the Gotango, uh, and some with Manda. Um, although I'm a little bit disappointed with, with sort of the way Manda was portrayed in this, but, but yeah, the model work. And the miniature work, just all of it was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. The he he really pulled out all the stops in this in this movie. Uh, and like again, going into the fact that it's only it only took four months, right? And yeah. to have that kind of intricacy uh, in the Gotango, um, I just like you, I'm a huge fan of uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, The Mysterious Island, all those Jules Verne uh, novels, um, and you can clearly see the inspiration uh, in this, in this movie. Like you can really clearly see it. And I, and I don't know the original story that, uh, that this was drawing from, if that was uh, heavily inspired by 20,000 leagues under the sea as well, but mm -hmm. this movie definitely has it. And we'll get into that because there, the, there's more to that, I think in the characters as well. Um, mm -hmm. But you mentioned uh, Manda or Manda. Manda. Yeah, he was referring. Well, I watched. I watched the uh, English and Japanese dub. I watched this movie twice, and then both. I want to say they were. He. They. He was. It was pronounced Manda, not Manda, yeah. our yeah. Americanized version of it. Yeah, but I don't really care with the with these monster names. I don't really care how you pronounce them as long as you understand what. what <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, but let, let's talk about Manda because again, this was my first time seeing this movie. I knew about this movie. I knew that this was where Manda came from because of mm -hmm. course, you know, Manda appears in later movies in destroy all monsters and in final wars. Right. Uh, but I, I did not realize how little Manda is in this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, it's so little. In fact, I was going to ask you this earlier in the conversation, but I was, uh, it wasn't really the right time, but I was going to say, I was going to ask you, Travis, would you even consider this a kaiju movie considering how little screen time Manda or Manda actually got? Yeah, it, it really, it, I would say it barely counts. It right. barely counts. Now there is a reason behind that. Um, it, it's one of the fun facts uh, that the original story and the, the you know the way they wrote it did not have a kaiju in it at all. They didn't have Manda in mm -hmm. it. Uh, right. and uh, Tanaka, uh, the producer, said we need to put a monster in this movie. We need to put a kaiju in here. And mm -hmm. so that's when they came up with Manda and they put Manda in there. But there's really some iconic scenes that I have seen people share on Twitter. I've seen people share around and have even seen models made of mm -hmm. the iconic scene of Manda wrapping around the Gotengo mm -hmm. underwater. Yeah. Yeah, there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful resin kit 
that you probably have seen mm-hmm. of that scene where Amanda or Manda is wrapped around the Gotango. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to get your hands on these days. I want to say it's a much, it's a much, much older kit. It's very mm-hmm. expensive, but it's beautiful. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it is. And so I expected that scene to be more impactful in the mm-hmm. movie and it just wasn't it, it really just was not that uh impactful in the movie at all and so it's almost like even though i love kaiju i love giant monsters and i do like manda the way manda's used in in like other movies but i just think like you could have just left manda out and it wouldn't have made a difference in this movie no i don't think it i think you're right um now i do like this movie it this movie would I'm glad that it did have a kaiju. I'm glad that Manda is in the movie. But even if even if the creature was not in the film, I still probably would have watched this movie because it is it is a good good movie. It really I've heard uh, other podcasts and and people around the interweb say that this is this is Subaraya and um, uh, this is Toho at a this is this is the height of Toho. Uh, I'm not going to go that far and say this is the pinnacle of, of Toho, uh, but it's very good. It is, it's a very good film uh, for yeah. all the, all the things that it tries to be and accomplish and explore. It's a very good film. And you know, this is not this, this will fall into sort of our fun facts uh, section, but this is not the only time we're going to see Manda. Of course, we all know him from uh, destroy all monsters when he was, I think he was attacked london maybe or he was uh, it's the iconic scene of that movie where he's wrapped around the bridge i can't remember what city he's actually in it yeah, may I can't have remember been, now it may be russia no rodan was it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but yeah uh, i need to rewatch that it's been a while since i've rewatched that one so. <laughs> but uh he was also uh in ultra q and i found this out i discovered oh yeah this, yeah i discovered this by listening to i think it was a episode of the kaiju cast where they brought this up uh, he was in episode six, uh, titled "Grow Up, Grow Up, Little Turtle," and he portrays the dragon uh, Kiryu, not Kiryu, Kairu. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the we see the full Manda prop in that episode. Uh, I went back and watched it uh, to see what it looked like, and we see the full Manda prop in that episode of Ultra Q. But he also sort of made an appearance in episode 12, uh, the one titled I saw a bird. And in that episode, there's like a a Viking ship. um, Oh yeah. Yeah. There's sort of a Viking ship. And at the very, you know how um, in history we see the Viking ships and some of those older ships, they have like decorative pieces at their front. Uh, Is Mm -hmm. that that called the bow? You're a, you're a a boat. Yeah. Yeah. The front of the boat's called the bow. Okay. It's called the, okay. So you can see at the bow of the ship, uh, this decorative dragon head. And basically they took the Manda puppet, chopped its head off and put it at the tip of that boat, uh, which in, which is the theory, which leads to the theory that, you know, in destroy all monsters, everyone kind of know if you're familiar at all with, with, with how Manda looked in, uh, Atragon, and then you go and you watch destroy all monsters, you notice that he doesn't quite look right. There's just something a little bit different about him. And basically his horns and his little mustache and his fur are all, all removed. And so basically mm-hmm. what, what they did was they chopped off the head of, of, of Manda, um, 
and used it for Ultra Q, well, they still had to make a new head, uh, probably because it was water damaged in Ultra Q. I would, I would, I'm gonna, I don't know that for sure, but I'm guessing it was probably water damaged from using it, from chopping it up, from from basically chopping it off and splicing it onto this boat and then it sinking and then them using it for a water scene because we all know in these films, you know, av- you know water scenes destroy suits. Uh, right. Yeah. Time and time again. But the theory is that they had to re-sculpt the head of Monda. And so that's why it looks um, quite a bit different than what he did, than what he did in this film is because it's a brand new head sculpt basically. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, just as a little tidbit, it has nothing to do with uh, kaiju, but uh, so the bow of a ship is just any that's the front of the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I learned it because when you bow, you bow forward, so ah, it's the forward okay. part of the ship. Um, but the carved uh, the carved decorative part that's on the front of old boats is called the figurehead. Oh, okay. Uh, and so that's, so that's, that's where that's we what, get that. That's where we get that terminology from then. Okay, that's cool. Yep. Um, so anyway, I just uh, a little bit of nautical uh, FYI. <laughs> um, so, the more you know. Yeah. Um, I I am glad, though, going along with you know what you're talking about with Manda, I am glad that Manda is in this movie, if for no other reason than it is what made me watch this movie, finally. Because I wouldn't have, I probably, well, I probably would have eventually watched it. I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't for this podcast. And having Manda in there is what was like, well, I need to watch it because it's the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. for the podcast. And I, I, I'm very happy I did. Um, now we have to get into the main thing that I love the most about this movie. Sure, which, which is... Captain Jinguchi. Ah, yeah, the captain. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Let's spend a little. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about the captain because I know you and I both have have some thoughts on him and his character. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, do you want to start? Uh, yeah. So basically, you know, uh, Captain Jinguchi was uh, a holdover or a holdout from World War II, and if anyone's familiar with, um. World War II and some of that history in Japan, there were some soldiers, if I'm getting my history correct, there were some soldiers that even after the tri- even after the, the ceasefire or after the war ended, there were still some soldiers that continued to fight or continued mm-hmm. to want to fight. And that was either because they thought that the, the ceasefire or ending the war was unjustified or... Um, they just didn't get the message because it's not, it wasn't like today where you just hop on a, on a, on a cell phone with somebody and say, Hey, the war's over. Okay. Let's all go home. Right. Uh, it wasn't like that back then. And, and I'm not trying to make light of all that because it's very serious business, but right. yeah, he, he was, he's a, a Japanese holdout, uh, a very dignified captain who loves his country, which we can kind of get into the, I would call him a, I would call him a patriot, not a a nationalist is what mm-hmm. I would is what I would say he is. He is a patriot. He loves his country. And, ba- and the main difference between patriotism and nationalism 
uh, is, you know, you love your country, but you don't feel like you're superior to everyone else. You can still love, you know, nationalism says that, you know, your country is the best regardless. And you look down your nose at other, uh, at other places. And, but patriotism just says, you know, I love my country. I'll fight for my country. Um, and I know that's a sort of a neutered explanation of what the difference between patriotism and nationalism, but Mm-hmm. Because that's t- that subject matter has so many different nuances and layers to it. But uh, the captain, uh, you know, he loves Japan. He he fought for the he fought for Japan in the war. He still believes that Ch- Japan. He still loves Japan. He believes that Japan needs to be fought for. It's worth fighting for. And honestly, I don't know about you, and I'll let you answer. I'll I'll, I'll let you kind of. Exp- I'll let you give your thoughts on this, Travis. So I'll ask you, do you think that the captain is sort of a tragic character? Yes. Oh, I absolutely. I absolutely feel he's a tragic character. Um, I can see where some people looking at this may, uh, may view him as stubborn, may view him as, you know, and, and kind of maybe get irritated with the character because he's, he's kind of stubborn, but, to me, this fits perfectly mm-hmm. with uh, the type of character that he is, and it does add to the tragedy of his character. Um, and, and again, going back to the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, it's the same reason why I consider uh, Captain Nemo a tragic character, because he is so oh, yeah. obsessed with s- isolation and being away from humanity that mm-hmm. he is determined to no matter what. Uh, uh, be away and he's going to sink any ship that, that threatens that. And that, you know, it just, he, so that, that 20,000 leagues under the sea kind of uh, um, inspiration came through again here with Jinguchi. Now I wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, the history. Now you mentioned a little bit about the Japanese holdouts. Sure. Now in Japan, and I'm not saying that Japan is unique in this because there are plenty of countries who that who who do this and have this kind of mentality, especially during wartime. Sure. But it seems to be more prevalent in Japan, or at least more um, fiery. I, I don't know how else to describe it in Japan than anywhere else. But mm. there was this sense of nationalism, a uh, sense of patriotism, sense of duty uh, during World War II that wasn't just for the soldiers, but for all of the citizens where mm-hmm. every citizen of Japan was supposed to be willing to die rather than surrender. Right. And there's a great YouTube video by a, um, a YouTuber called a uh, L I N F A M Y. Okay. Uh, he does a lot of, uh, uh, history of Japan and stuff, but he does it with, a with, humor i i really like his his um sense of humor and stuff but he does talk a lot about the history of japan but there's one uh video that he did about the japanese high school girls forced to be battlefield nurses in world war ii uh they were called hime yuri mm-hmm. okay and in that video you really see the soldier's mentality the citizen's mentality this idea of you know never give up you are not allowed to give up you are not allowed to surrender and so when that the ceasefire happened, when the surrender happened, Japan as a country surrendered at the end of the war, there were a lot of soldiers who did not believe that 
Japan would have surrendered. And so they didn't believe that it was real mm-hmm. or there was some that just refused to surrender still. And right. so there were a bunch of Japanese holdouts. And at the time that this movie came out in 1963, some had uh, already came forward or some had been discovered, but actually there were still more being discovered even after this movie came out all the way up into the seventies. Right. Where these soldiers spent decades in jungles fighting a war that had ended. Mm-hmm. And their determination. And so that kind of real life event and real life story is playing a part here with uh, Jinguchi. Mm-hmm. And so it's I sort of, yeah. um, it's, oh, sort of it's sort of um, like country above all else. Yeah. You, f- you fight for your country regardless until your very last breath. Yeah. I, I think it's also really good that. Uh, I think I think Honda and Sekizawa, by using this film, was not just highlighting the holdouts, the the fact that there were some holdouts out there, but even emotions that were happening within Japan, the one you know within the actual country itself. Because you have to remember, at the time that this movie came out, it was the war had only ended like twenty years before. There mm-hmm. were still plenty of people who were not just alive during the war, but were part of the war and fought mm-hmm. in the war. Right. And some of them had trouble letting go of, of that, of the past and, and moving on and moving into this. Now this new Japan that was being built of, right. you know, of being uh, uh, its own kind of, because Japan really flourished once you got uh, to to the sixties and seventies, that's when Japan really started to flourish, mm-hmm. and uh, economically and and technologically and everything. And so they are moving into that age of Japan, but you still have some that are holding on to the past and holding on to those those grudges. And so right. I think that Sekizawa and and Honda were kind of not just talking about oh these holdouts who these these ones who were over in in uh on the islands who are refusing to give up but also the people within the country who are refusing to give up and i think that mentality and that kind of theme is not just for japan doesn't just apply to japan because there are plenty of people and you know look at what we're going through now in the united states who cannot let go of the past and move forward into a better future yeah there is um the one moment that really just sort of encapsulated this for me when I was watching this was it, it happened. I want to say it was around the 50 minute mark. It was around the one hour mark. I know that um, where uh, Jinguchi was having a, uh, an argument with the Admiral. Um, and basically the Admiral sort of explained or talked, he basically explained to the captain that, you know, Japan um, was abolished war. You know, that's and that mm-hmm. sort of gave birth to the is it the JSDF, the Japanese uh, Self-Defense Force, Self-Defense Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting, tense moment that that ends with the statement by the admiral were to to the captain where he just says, you're just a ghost wearing rusty armor, mm-hmm. basically alluding to the captain just being out of touch He's he's a ghost of a bygone era and he just needs to just needs to move on. 
Yeah. And I, the Admiral, um, uh, the, again, the acting, the acting from both of those characters, especially was so good, but there's even a line that the Admiral says there. He says, you speak of a time that is 20 years old. We've Mm -hmm. asked you to decide for today. Right. So he's like, you know, he's like, you're talking about things that happened 20 years ago. We need to figure out what we're doing now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so yeah. it was, it's such a great, um, one of the things I love about Jinguchi, especially the portrayal um, by the actor, is you really see the conflict in him. You can see you it did. in his eyes. You can see it in his facial expressions. He is obsessed, mm-hmm. but he's not stubborn. He's no. dedicated, but he's not a fanatic. He is when when we first meet the captain, you sort of get the impression that he's just this emotionless warmonger. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the film, you see that he's not. He's he's a patriot who loves his country and will do whatever he feels is necessary to uh, further his cause that he believed that he believed was was the honorable one. Uh, yeah. And if I'm not, and by the end of the film you know, it's interesting to see that the Admiral even uh, in a way comes to his side to fight alongside Captain Jinguchi in, in the Gotango against the, the Mu, the Mu empire. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. And I, I, I loved, I loved the interactions between, between some of these characters. Um Man, it's just I'm just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about it right now. And it, mm-hmm. such such wonderful you're right, such wonderful acting, such uh this whole film it's in itself is just a really, really nice example uh that you can as far as Toho is concerned and as far as uh us as as kaiju and tokusatsu fans are concerned, you don't always have to have monster wrestling to have a good film. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um and one of the things that I, I, I mean, it's, it's an obvious thing. Um, but I, you know, they reiterate it when I took writing classes, um, for like screenwriting and novel and, and prose writing, um, that when you are trying to weave a theme throughout your story, that you need to have your theme be on a micro scale and a macro scale, you need mm-hmm. to have it, you know, featured on a very personal level between like individual characters, but also have the theme portrayed in a bigger way. That's that covers all of the characters at once. And we get that in this movie um, because we talked about Jinguchi and his inability to let go of the past and move on with the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that same mentality and theme is, with the Mu Empire, because they're holding on to a time period when they were the dominant empire on the planet, right. and they're trying to get that back instead of moving on with the rest of the world. Uh, I was just going to say that, uh, and I think that's really interesting how that same theme and mentality kind of is portrayed in the the bigger picture of the Mu Empire. Right. Um. Man. Uh... There just there's just so much to unpack here that we don't necessarily have time for. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I'm just trying to find I'm just trying to find a good segue at this point. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Mu Empire. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about the Mu Empire. 
they're supposed now it, it falls into some of my dislikes and it's it, i don't know if it's really considered if you would consider this petty or just sort of trivial stuff but uh they're portrayed as this sort of advanced civilization more advanced even with uh than the surface dwellers i guess that's, right. i think that's what they called them the surface dwellers mm-hmm. um but they're still fighting with um with spears and swords instead of actual instead of actual uh, gun weapons. So I'm wondering if I'm wondering if it's they own the they're not necessarily the most advanced civilization, but they they think of themselves as they're arrogant enough to think of themselves as the advanced the most advanced civilization because they've lived underground for so long they don't know what's going on on the surface right yeah yeah and i can i can see that um i can see how that can be an interpretation of it i really i do i i i'm with you on i do think that it's kind of dumb that when the gotango comes in and the and the they actually start charging in on the um mu empire that the mu citizens are fighting with swords and spears when we have seen that they do have this advanced technology, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in their submarines and in all, you know, throughout the city oh, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't like that, but I think that that is a product of the timing. They only had four months to make this movie, so they yeah. you know, really couldn't do very much. One small thing about the Moo Empire that I do appreciate, though, if you paid attention to the extras in the background they weren't all one nationality. Oh no, they weren't. They were, I think I remember seeing you, you did bring this, you, you did bring it up that actually, um, they had a really diverse civilization down there. Yeah. Yeah. You can look at the, the, um, now of course the main ones who are doing the talking and the acting, uh, are Japanese because this is a Japanese film, and so they're you're you know going to have the Japanese actors. Right. Uh, but as far as the extras and the background characters, they had you know people all, from all uh, different races and hair colors and you know all this stuff, and so it really kind of gives you this picture of this uh, this empire that spanned multiple areas on the globe. And how they would have been a diverse group because, you know, like the, the story of the movie says that their empire kind of was uh, the one that influenced all of the other empires all across the planet. So it makes sense why they would be kind of a more diverse group of people. And I like that they actually followed that up in the with the uh, extras in the background. Right. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that part was really interesting, too. Uh, that because we've had Toho sort of a, attempt diversity uh, mm-hmm. in past film or uh, not. I don't think this is 63. So yeah, past film. So 62 uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. That was an attempt at diversity. Um, but this film was, I feel like well, way more successful at it because it really did give the impression like you had of a, of a vast diverse civilization instead of just a a lost city of atlantis with one nationality that somehow got sunk into the ocean 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and while we're still talking about likes before we move on to anything else, I do want to sure. talk about there the scene uh, where Mu is attacking the city. And so you have all of the soldiers who are waiting for midnight. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's just such a tense scene. Oh, it's so good. There, the it's just so tense and it's so quiet and everything. And then, of course, you know the special effects of the buildings falling, the ground collapsing is all great. But the tension leading up to that was so good. So I had to really, I had to highlight that moment in the film as well. Um, but uh, yeah, we've we've kind of gone back and forth on our likes and dislikes. Is there any other things that you like, little small things that you want to talk about, either likes or dislikes? <laughs> the the Manda laser, the Manda laser, <laughs> the Manda laser on top of the yeah uh, of the Moo ship. Yeah, I was like, like, like this this gold um this gold plated mm-hmm. dragon rises up out of this boat out of the bow of the ship and it just shoots a laser at the Gotango. And I just thought that was it's like okay, all right, you know we're it reminds you that we are watching. Uh, sort of a, a fan, sort of an over the top, uh, over the top fantasy mm-hmm. uh, movie, and yeah, yeah I, I liked I liked the debut of uh, the Gotango. In fact, you know the Gotango is this is supposed to be this uh, submarine, this really rugged submarine, but the very first scene we see it in, it flies. So. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was I just thought that was kind of weird. I, I didn't have a I didn't have a like or a dislike about it. I just thought it was kind of weird that uh, the first scene that we see it in, uh, it, it flies instead of um, goes underwater. So yeah, I, I just I just really really thought that was interesting. And and the Go Tango and the Go Tango is actually probably my favorite, maybe favorite or second favorite, uh, right behind maybe the Sy three, as in terms mm-hmm. of my favorite toho mechanical weapons you know oh, not yeah. not counting like uh mulgara and mechagodzilla and stuff like i'm not talking about the mechanical kaiju i'm just talking about the the actual weapons like the sy3 the mazers and then of course the gotango yeah yeah um one little thing that i'm just and i think this might close out the whole um our whole discussion but uh it might be just a product of the time because this was mm-hmm. a movie from the sixties, but that secret Moo agent that was uh, supposed to be a reporter, he was not subtle at oh, all. Oh no, absolutely <laughs> not. That was, that was, there was no subtlety whatsoever in that man. It was like, how in the world did you guys not pick him out as the bad guy from the beginning? He is so, so just, just yeah, obvious. Yeah. I think that was because they were trying to be. They were. They were trying. You know, rush production. They were just trying to. Yeah. Try well, to handhold. They were trying to handhold the audience as much as they could without being totally obvious about it. But my God, <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is not subtle. But I mean, it, that's just a small thing. Oh, oh, um, oh, before I forget, another little small thing I wanted to bring up, and I'll just kind of ask you: Do you like it or you don't like it? The moo. Um scuba gear best mm-hmm. way i know how to put it oh the creature from the black lagoon meets underwater since we just did under since we just did yeah the underwater yeah movie. It, it looks they looked like they were made out of duct tape <laughs> <laughs> they really yeah. did yeah they did didn't they <laughs> they were made out of duct tape but, um, but that's neither that's neither here nor there i think that was just sort of a product of its time 
yeah yeah these yeah that's little things um that's not really taking away from the movie but it's just no, little funny things yeah. um one of the one last little final fact that i wanted to bring up uh captain Jinguchi was originally going to be played by the famous actor toshiro mifune okay uh, but was he was unable to because of other commitments to sure. other films because you know he's he had been in a lot of films. If you've ever seen a samurai film, you have seen Mifune because he has okay. been in all of them. <laughs> um, but he is just one of those really big famous Japanese right. actors of the of that time period. And uh, and so I would have liked to have seen him in this. I get why he you know why he wasn't. Uh, and the but the actor who did play Captain Jinguchi uh, was really good. So I, I can't really complain. Yeah. yeah but I just absolutely. I was like, I mean you know to the idea of having legendary Mifune <laughs> in this film would have been great. Um, so yeah, so let's get into our Godzuki scores. Uh, so you know, for anybody who's new to the podcast, uh, we like to score our movies out of Godzukis because we like to pay homage to the great Godzuki, who is Godzilla's bumbling nephew from the Hanna Barbera cartoon, and embrace the silly side of kaiju films uh, by using him as our yardstick. Because why the heck not? Yeah, why the heck not? So, uh, Michael, out of five Godzukis. <laughs> How many Godzukis do you give Atragon? <laughs> uh, okay, so we're, are we going to give our scores and then final thoughts, or do you want me to give final thoughts then score? Um, whatever order you want to do it in, but yeah, you can do both together. Okay, uh, I'll give. I'll go ahead and just give my since I did th final thoughts and score last time. I'll give uh, my score first, then my thoughts. Uh, for this film, uh, for Atragon, I gave it a very uh, positive. Four out of five Godzukis. Uh, and for many, many reasons. Uh, so my thoughts on the film are, you know, for this one, Honda pulls no punches with this, with this film being a, a direct critique of blind patriotism and Japanese nationalism or nationalism in general, general for that matter. Uh, the portrayal of Jingushi, Jingushi, as a Japanese holdout was interesting, was an interesting choice for the film that fits within the overall story very well. By the end of the film, we begin to feel sorry for him and understand why he is the way he is. He's he him. He's desperately clinging to a bygone era by any means necessary. I feel it's something that we can all relate to, you know, for better or for worse. The effects work, while dated, uh, is very well done. Manda, the miniature work, the Gotango prop, and so much more combined to make a very well done, beautifully beautifully composed film that for the most part is believable and enjoyable. Although the first 30 minutes feels like forever, uh, they were integral for, the, for setting up the themes that we'd explore in the latter parts of the film. Overall, I enjoyed this movie for what it was, a 20,000 Leagues, mysterious island inspired tale of a former captain trying to trying to remain relevant in a world that has since left him behind. Yeah, that's, that's great. Final thoughts. Um, so I also give it four out of five Godzuki's because I, I think it is a fantastic film despite all of its flaws that we've mentioned. Uh, the first 30 minutes of this film seem to move very slowly, 
But once Captain uh, Jinguchi is introduced, the movie becomes much better. The themes of letting go of the past and absolute devotion to a cause are explored on a macro and micro scale. Mm -hmm. The actions of Jinguchi and his men who are devoted to a war that ended 20 years earlier is reflected in the Mu Empire's refusal to embrace a world that had changed without them. The complexities of Jinguchi really elevate this film. The biggest shortcomings it has stem from the rushed production schedule. However, the fact that Honda, Sekizawa, along with Tsuburaya's special effects, were able to make an engaging movie with complex and deep themes that echo down to this day in only four months proves why those men are considered legends in the Japanese film industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's our final thoughts on that. Uh, so... Uh, Everyone, go watch, go watch mm -hmm. Atragon. It is is so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is, is absolutely. So yeah, it is. Uh, it should be required watching for any. I feel and for any uh, Toho fan, especially, but any fan of like Tokusatsu or even uh, even Kaiju, because it does have a little bit of Kaiju action in it, but. Yeah, Regardless. just Japanese Japanese films in general. Yeah, like, absolutely. like we talk a, a lot about Akira Kurosawa being, you know, the the uh, this big name in uh, Japanese filmmaking. And so, of course, if you're wanting to get into Japanese film, you definitely want to look into him. You definitely want to look into Ishiro Honda's other sure. movies, Gojira especially. But this one, I think. I know that um, Thorax, our Patreon, said that he puts this movie almost at the same level of Gojira. And I think as far as themes and and how much it uh, really captures the feelings and emotions of a people in a time that, that it, can, it came out in, it is. It is almost as good as Gojira when mm -hmm. it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the, the problems that it has are just the, the you know, rushed schedule right because this it's not like this film i don't know what the budgetary i don't know what the what the budget for this film was but it's i don't believe from the looks of it anyway it didn't have an extremely low budget because it doesn't feel like an extremely low budget movie but it does feel rushed and i think that's one of the main things to to keep in mind when watching this film it, is it was rushed but the end product that we actually got is really really fantastic yeah. Um, so are we ready to move into our next segment? Absolutely. Let's go for it. All right. So let's dive into the mailbag. What's in the mail today? So we have a letter from a, uh, I don't know if I want to call him a fan, a friend, a friend of the podcast. Okay. Uh, we Nathan, like friends of the podcast. Yeah. Nathan from the Monster Island Film Vault podcast uh, sent us an email and it's, uh, I mean, leave it to Nathan. He's, he's kind of the king of the, um, actually, um, it's <laughs> sort of, it's sort of his shtick, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Know, he'll, <laughs> he'll even go full March and on his own show. Yeah. So. Um, so he kind of did that with, with, uh, a comment that I made in the last episode. So I'll go ahead and read his email out. It says, uh, greetings from monster Island. I just finished listening to your episode on Ebera, uh, horror of the deep or Godzilla versus the sea monster. If you will, I enjoyed your discussion, but there was one point Travis made that I think needs some clarification. 
He said Fukuda directed Godzilla films in a way where the kaiju and human plot lines don't intersect until they do. That's not so much his tra- his trademark as it is a trademark of screenwriter Shinichi uh yeah, Shinichi Sekizawa. It was a revolutionary formula he brought to the genre because he was tired of monster movies where it was humans solving monster problems. Instead, he had monsters solve human problems. He also liked giving the characters their own distinct stories that didn't have to be completely connected to the monsters. You see this especially in the two previous Godzilla films to this one, which was which were directed by Honda. Uh, the Princess Salno story in Ghidorah is almost completely separate from the monster stuff until the right. end when the kaiju accidentally save her. Uh, and then in Monster Zero, everything with the zillions and humans have their own stories uh, that's separate from the monsters. Uh, and he says, actually, the monsters are barely in the movie. Uh, so anyway, I just thought I'd inform you guys of that. Screenwriters are unsung heroes, especially in Tokusatsu. Uh, keep up the good work and Godspeed. Sincerely, Nathan Marchan, host and curator of the Monster Island Film Vault. Well, so, thank you, Nathan. Uh, yeah, really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And and he's right. You know, I I I put that credit onto Fukuda, and I do think that Fukuda's style of directing is very different than Honda's, and mm-hmm. and I. I think we mentioned in the last episode that having that different directing style actually kind of was interesting. And I actually kind of like that it's that Fukuda's directing style is different, but as far as the story elements, the credit really needs to go to Sekizawa because he is right. You know, when it comes to some of these other uh, films that Sekizawa has wrote the screenplays for, it didn't matter who directed them, but you know, the story, uh, the human side of things and the monster side of things don't really connect to each other directly until eventually they do. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I like that. And so, yeah, yeah, he's right. I should have, I should have known that it was mm-hmm. more on Sekizawa's side of things, not the director side of things, because there are examples of it, even in the Honda directed Godzilla films. Yeah. And uh, I think that was a mistake we both made. If I'm not mistaken, we both, sort of gave the story credit to uh to Fukuda and yeah he's right we should have really just uh we should have uh mentioned the screenwriter a whole lot more uh and I know that Nathan is a screenwriter in his own right um he's a, he's a he's a book he's an author and a screenwriter himself and so it's it's very natural that he would kind of give us that type of that type of pushback and we you know we really appreciate it we we appreciate someone trying to keep us intellectually honest yep Yep, keeping us honest. So thank you for that. And so if anyone wants to send us comments or uh, praise or want to tell us what we're doing wrong, you can do that at uh, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. Please send us some uh, some feedback. We'd love to hear from the community. Sure. Uh, and our mailbag is getting kind of kind of uh, small. There's not as many letters in it. And whenever uh, we run out of letters, the mailbag likes to go on a rampage. <laughs> uh, so we need to, to keep the mailbag in check by filling it with letters. Uh, but since we're in the letter segment, I figured this is a perfect time to read an iTunes review that we have. Ooh, we haven't um, gotten one of those in a while. Yeah, which this one is actually a, f- a few weeks old, but we kept meaning to read it and we kept forgetting. Um, 
uh, to read it. But this one is uh, from username DennisN59. Uh, it's a five-star review. And it says, I absolutely love the Kaiju Weekly podcast. One thing Kaiju Weekly offers that none of the other Kaiju podcasts uh, really do is weekly news. Kaiju Weekly stays up to date and relevant in their podcasts, as well as reviewing classic kaiju goodness from a variety of different monster franchises. The camaraderie between Travis and Michael is fantastic, as each offers something different to the show. Give this a listen, whether you are whether you are an experienced fan or a noob like myself. Awesome, thanks, Dennis. We appreciate it. Uh, we've actually almost we've that's super encouraging. It's a super encouraging review because uh, we've often thought about cutting out the news portion altogether. But yeah, we we really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Every time that we talk about um, cutting out the news segment, I always stop and think. I'm like, but that is one of the things that sets us apart because there are a lot of you know kaiju movie review podcasts mm-hmm. out there and and that's not knocking any of them they all bring something new and something different uh to to the whole um podcasting game and of course yeah. a bunch of them are our friends uh but one thing that that a lot of them don't do is weekly news um there's very few of them that cover news at all and then uh very few of them are weekly so uh, it, it, you know, every time we talk about getting rid of it, I always come back to that's, that's kind of the thing that sets us apart. And so I kind of want to keep it around, but, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, more people can let us know how they feel about the news segment. Um, since we heard this person's, uh, viewpoint on it. Uh, and then we can, you know, maybe, maybe in the future we'll make a decision, but until now we're keeping it around. Awesome. Thanks guys. Uh, yeah. So, Thank you to everyone for listening. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, we are at Kaiju Weekly on Twitter and Kaiju Weekly Pod on Instagram. You can send questions, comments, or answers to trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com, which I didn't actually read the uh, trivia question uh, for this week. Um, the trivia question for this week, because we are recording ahead uh, because of me moving, I didn't want to ask a question that people would not be able to answer and we weren't going to be able to give uh people proper shout outs so i just want to hear from everyone on social media what is your favorite episode of the 1966 ultraman series okay um yeah so you can do that send us our send us those answers kaiju weekly uh at kaiju weekly on twitter and kaiju weekly at gmail.com you can also find us at the kaiju groupie facebook group also follow at kaiju groupie 54 and at the kaiju groupie on twitter and instagram uh a big thank you to brian shijir and thorax for supporting us on patreon you can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash kaiju weekly pod or by leaving a review on apple's podcast app or by subscribing to our YouTube channel because we're trying to hit 100 subscribers by the end of July. And you have anything else you want to say? Uh, no, all I'm going to say is uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kaiju groupie pod, not Kaiju. Oh yeah. Before. I haven't uh, updated on my, it, it's notes. okay. It's okay. But yeah, you can st- just stay up to date with us. And most importantly, please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, if you haven't already, that's the big thing we're pushing right now. 
because we're trying to grow that. And if you do, you'll notice uh, when we do upload episodes to the YouTube channel, uh, we add little visuals to the videos. It's not just a static um, audiogram that run that that plays on screen. It's an action. We try our best anyway to give visual references to the things we talk about in the news section so that you guys know what the heck we're even talking about. Yeah. So to close out this episode, I'm going to say help control the Gotengo population. Have your Atragons spayed or neutered. Okay. That really doesn't make any sense, but okay. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes more sense than, ooh, Kaiju Weekly. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right, cut the episode. <laughs>